Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Gretchen Reinheimer, Principal Interior Designer of Gretchen Reinheimer Design, known for bringing a behavioral science approach to creating lasting impressions in both residential and commercial spaces. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and Founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand strategy and neuromarketing consultancy that taps into emotional insights to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining me today, and let's talk Limbic Sparks. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, Gretchen, I've been looking forward to this talk for a while. How are you? How are things today? How are you doing? I feel so energized because I spent some time in New York City at the designer showrooms showing um, someone who's very interested in interior design. I showed her what it's like to shop for a project, how I start the hunting and gathering. So I had a wonderful morning. I love it. I love hearing that. We've gotten to know each other and we've known each other now for a couple of years. And I've always been struck every time we chat, I've always been struck by your heartfelt energy and enthusiasm. And I'm curious, what motivates you and fuels all that energy that you have? Well, honestly, I feel gratitude. I feel an enormous sense of gratitude for the projects I have for the clients who bring me the projects because I love what I'm doing. Um, I like projects, whether they're personal or professional. I like projects. You talk a lot about how surroundings make people feel. What about the people that you surround yourself with? What's most important to you when it comes to the values that people have who are part of your world? Yeah, so actually I do talk, well, whether it's with an assistant or someone who's learning about design, I talk a lot about, it's not just about the design, it's about the people I get to work with. And so people with a generosity of spirit are my favorite. I don't work alone, ever. So I'm I'm sort of always drawing someone into another harebrained scheme. So I'll share a story. Um, a lot of design is problem solving. And, you know, a set of drawings um, aren't enough, right? So we have these meetings on site because, sure, I had the design of the kitchen figured out. We had the two huge pendants hanging over a big island. And before we started the renovation, everybody knew this is what we wanted. But what we never did until it was set in stone, there's that island sitting there completed. Now the electrician has to actually install those lights. We all look up, they have to take a laser to find the exact spot in the ceiling where this light is gonna hang from. So the builder and the electrician saw that the best spot for this light fixture to hang from was a skylight. Now that's impossible. 
How do you hang a light fixture from a skylight? You can't. So all this to say, the electrician and the builder helped me figure out how to do it. They came up with this wonderful idea. This is a 50s modern house. There's no sheetrock on the ceilings. It's all dark wood. They found a way to create a piece of dark wood over the first six inches of that skylight. Nobody sees it. That light hangs perfectly over that island. And it was such a beautiful solution. And it took the three of us to figure it out. So that's what I value. People that are just as excited as I am to bring the perfect solution every time. It's amazing. And those are the exact kind of people who I bring into my work as well. We have to share the enthusiasm and the collaboration aspects of the project. It's amazing. That's what makes it fun. It's the people. Sure, I like designing. Sure, I sit alone here in my office and I come up with ideas, but the best parts are the parts shared with people. So brands, you know, that's a thing of mine that I'm interested in. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think? The the mere mention of a brand brings to life a lot of meaning and associations. So to help people better understand more about you, can you describe yourself, but do so by only naming a few brands that paint a picture of what you're about and why you chose them? Yeah, sure. There's, I, I think I have one, two, three, four, five here. Um, and two of them you may not know, but I, I'm just going to share. I'll start with, so Anthropology is a store that sells women's clothing and, well, clothing and home furnishings, furniture now also, um, accessories. And what I love to do in that store is just wander. I wander around, I listen to the music, the people are friendly. I love anthropology for the look of their things, the inspiration I get when I go there. I just feel like that store is me. I recently visited uh, Terrain in Westport, Connecticut. It's similar, more oriented to plants and outdoor plants, but they had a restaurant. They just had beautiful things for the home. And so wandering around those two stores, super fun. Um, Free People is a fashion line. And it's very similar in feeling to some of the fashion that anthropology sells. But I also like the name, the idea, free people. Ah, yes. Love that. Um, Apple computers. Oh, my God. I went from, you know, PC to Mac about six years ago, and I couldn't be happier because they are beautiful And why wouldn't I want a beautiful computer in my office? Two of them, actually. And they're intuitive. So meaning user-friendly, right? So it, it was just easy to learn how to switch from that brain to this brain and use a Mac computer. So I love Apple. I have a watch, a phone, iPad. I have an Apple Pencil that I use on occasion, haven't used it in a while, but 
you know, love, right? Just love Apple. Then these two companies I'm going to name next are just, they're just great. So three form, three hyphen form, F-O-R-M. Three form is a manufacturer of a resin product that you might use for, so like in a restaurant, I've seen it used in such a way where maybe an eight foot tall, four foot wide panel has a frame and it's backlit. So it brings a kind of ambiance to the space, but also in that three form panel, you have rose petals or some kind of texture or pattern. I've used them for doors and windows and three form is amazing. Also because of their uh, commitment, they have a corporate sustainability strategy. So the manufacturing waste is used for sampling, for instance. So there is no real waste. Um, I appreciate that. And then there's this company, Galbraith and Paul in uh, Pennsylvania. They do block printing, hand printing, screen printing of fabrics and wallpaper. And I love that it's done by hands and I love that it's, you know, four hours away. <laughs> I love this. Um, I love their aesthetic. So their patterns and prints are some of them like folk art. Oh, I just, I could go on and on. I probably, my words won't do them <laughs> justice. Galbraith and Paul is just one of those companies and uh, brands that I really appreciate. Wow. That is an incredible list. And what they all have in common is that they enable you to get inspired and express your yes, creativity. Definitely. And I love, you know, I love hearing that. Yeah. I think another thing that I've heard from you that I find to be pretty amazing is that you recently found out that your name, Reinheimer, means pure home in German. Yeah. That is unbelievable. And so that connection is there. And why is that the perfect meaning of your name and how lucky that you found out that it's, it's, it is true. So really, I can't believe I didn't know all these years that my name means pure home. And so I'm, I'm doing this work for more than 30 years. And the first of uh, the early years, let's call them the early years. It took me time to get comfortable in the design world. I grew up in a humble home. My dad was a Lutheran minister and the house belonged to the church. And so becoming an interior designer uh, was awkward at first, you know, feeling like I didn't belong. I, you might, people use the term imposter sim syndrome. I, I don't really like to use that. So I'm not going to say that I had that, but perhaps I did. I It was just an uncomfortable feeling that I didn't belong because my dad wasn't the architect. You know, my mom wasn't an interior designer or an artist. Um, so it took me time to get comfortable and I got licensed and certified and studied. And so I, I, I made a great effort to belong. 
and to become official. And I'm doing this work and I've had a business for a long time. So I'm settling in. And maybe that's why I learned it now. Hmm. So I'm settling in that that's damn right. That's what my name means. <laughs> it's, it's so amazing. It's like, just, it's like, oh, it's, it's amazing. You often say that our surroundings affect how we feel. Another one of your catchphrases that I've heard so many times from you. Why is that fact so important to your work? Wow. So, you know, it's Johann uh, von Goethe that said he is happiest, be he king or peasant, who finds peace in his home. So those two things, right? Your surroundings affect how you feel. Don't we want to find peace in our own home? So sure, my surroundings are going to affect how I feel. That's why clients come to me because they're uncomfortable in their own home. So I'm sensitive to create surroundings for my clients that they love. And I'm helping them choose how they spend their budget so that they create, with my help, this home that they love. So either way, they're hoping to accomplish something with my help and they want to get it right. Now, a quick story, if I can share with you about how our surroundings affect how we feel. I worked with uh, five other interior designers, all ASID designers, the American Society of Interior Design. Uh, we all volunteered our time and we reached out to sources for materials to redecorate Sukasa, which is located in downtown Manhattan. It's a residential treatment facility for pregnant women with opioid addictions. When we completed the overhaul, the director mentioned how the women in the beginning were not taking care of their rooms. But afterwards, with all the evidence-based design implemented, the women were found to be caring not just for their rooms, making their beds, keeping it clean, but for themselves. Like never before, they cared for themselves. So their new surroundings affected them positively in a very profound way. So our surroundings do affect how we feel. So I just did a workshop on how scientists study human behavior using this evidence-based design. We are delivering a space that evokes a feeling that supports the need of the homeowner. So we work to create comfort. Why? Because that's human nature, right? We wanna be comfortable anywhere we are. We wanna be comfortable. We go to places sometimes we're uncomfortable, but at, at the very least in our own home, we should be comfortable. Mm -hmm. But if you think about being in a hotel lobby, for instance, if I were to design a hotel lobby, I'm going to think about how people want to feel comfortable and they want to feel safe in their environment. 
And the way we can control and feel safe and comfortable in our environment is to maybe sit in a chair instead of a sofa where a stranger could sit next to us, right? So if we're sitting in a chair, we can kind of control that environment. So that's real. That's a real thing. And so that's why taking and applying the research that the scientists have done is powerful to our designs. And when you start working with a client, very interested to know, like, what's going through your mind? What are you listening for? Like, how do you get, I mean, the behavioral science aspects means you're, you're not only applying behavioral science principles, but you're really tapping into what people care about. And, and how do you unearth those insights? Well, what I like to talk about early on with a client is let's say, for instance, we're going to redo, well, their living room. You know, I will ask, how do you want to feel in this space? How do you want it to feel? Because I design and create to a feeling. So if someone were to say, I want it to feel glamorous, you can imagine that a space that feels glamorous is not going to feel the same as if someone were to say, I want it to feel rustic and relaxed and like a ski lodge or, you know, these words to describe how we feel point me in a direction to begin that whole design process. We first start with what kind of a feeling are we creating? And when you're going through that process, I assume sometimes people have ideas for what they think it should be. And you need to go a couple layers deeper and get to the root of what they're asking about. I mean, does anybody design their home to actually be a ski lodge? <laughs> well, yeah, right. Well, you, we imagine what that means. Yeah. Right? We imagine what that means. That's, you know, wood walls and... I guess um, using words to describe a space or a feeling is what the motivation is. Now, I could tell a story about a client who came back from Italy. She went on a cooking, I don't know if it was a cooking tour. She might have spent time in a couple of different places cooking. And she came home so excited they have decided they're going to put an addition on their home and the the addition would would renovate the kitchen so now we're redoing the kitchen or making it bigger um and she said i want a tuscan kitchen and so i thought oh wow this is so exciting okay great and i started showing her pictures of what that meant to me a tuscan kitchen and she looked at all that and then like, that wasn't it, right? So we had to talk about, well, so what was it? And so she realized that in the end, it wasn't so much about Tuscan design. It was about the experience and the feeling she had when she was cooking in this group of people in a communal way, enjoying the process of cooking and eating together that's what she wanted to recreate. 
And it had nothing to do with Tuscan design in my mind. What I had that mean was not what she meant. So really drilling down, asking a lot of questions. Um, This particular kitchen was so much fun to do because we had so many conversations. She actually said, I would love for guests to be able to help themselves make their own cocktail, get their own glass of wine. I would like a drink station. Hmm. And it really spoke to me because not only was that sort of generous, right? Here, you can do not, not, ah, get it yourself. It wasn't that. We know that when we can control an environment, when we can control it, then we feel safe, we feel comfortable. That's human behavior. Yeah. So now she was providing a place where we as guests could control. And then she could control her side of the island in her kitchen and do her thing, cook her breakfasts, lunch, and dinners. And we could do our thing and help ourselves to drinks and not get in her way. She could do her thing. We could feel comfortable in her kitchen and help ourselves. So it was a win-win, this design. It was a unique idea. And well, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful place to visit. And you have to have (laughs) so many conversations to really get to the heart of what people want. How do you... Uh, handle like as the project is going on i imagine there's a couple things like one is you've got multiple voices and you have to coordinate those voices on the design intent and the design ideas and then you also have to overcome challenges like um you know well we can't afford that so what's it going to be instead so how do you so you go from this initial idea but how do you navigate through the project and still end up with something that people are in love with so there's a couple of stories I could share. One of them is really fun to remember. I had a client who said, I entertain a lot and we're renovating. We're actually moving the kitchen in her home from the front of the house to the back. So you can imagine the disruption right there of the construction. And they said, don't worry, we'll move downstairs. And so in this renovation, we needed to leave room for this dining room and if she's entertaining a lot she said four times a year she's got maybe 16 or 18 people at the table so she had a table that fit that many people and I thought but a room with 18 chairs is ugly so what could we do and I I spent some time thinking about well how do we do this Most of the time, the family is eating in the dining room and there's four of them. Four times a year, five times a year, they've got 18 people. How do I do this? Well, this particular project, we came up with a banquette along the back wall that acted as a lounge where people could sit and wait and have cocktails. And she was cooking in the kitchen and she would bring them little hors d'oeuvres. When it was time for the dinner for 18, and then then six or eight people could sit around the table, right, with mm-hmm. the chairs. And there's this big, long banquette that 
acted as a, a, a kind of lounge. Four times a year, this table moves to the banquette, the table opens up and the chairs that she owns sit on the opposite side of that table. And now you've got 16 or 18 people sitting at this table. Oh, wow. And it was just, it was really the perfect solution. We had light fixtures that would come down and go up based on where the table was going to be. And so that was a really perfect solution. And that's it, right? We're always talking about what do you want? What do you need? And how do you want it to feel? So how do you want the space to feel? What do you want? What do you need? And another client, a husband and wife, she was working. He was home during a renovation. And most of the time he was there to meet with the builder and I and to go over choices. And he was making a lot of the choices. And I noticed that she had been at one of the evening meetings and she seemed disappointed in some way about something. I don't remember. She wasn't getting whether it was chalkboard paint on a door or something she wanted, she didn't get. And so I came up with the idea to have her call me on her way to work in the morning. And for days, I said, just talk about your dream home. Just what does it feel like? What does it look like? What are you doing there? What happens? What are your habits? And, and the more she talked about her dream house, the more I could advocate for her in those daytime meetings that she couldn't attend so that she had a voice and she could be at those meetings through me. So there's always some kind of a solution to make sure everybody is heard and yeah. that a house becomes the home for the people living in it. Not my style, not my design, but the clients that it evokes their personality and the feelings that they wanted to create in that space. It's so incredible how you get to those insights and the perspective that you just talked about is so similar to the kinds of things that I deal with when I'm working with brands, whether it's strategy, messaging, or bringing in designers to create design for a brand, or even brands I've worked with that create these spaces for their consumers. And you've got to imagine that the personal aesthetic of the CEO or the CMO is not necessarily the aesthetic that's right for the consumers that they're bringing into that space. That's so they really have to break free of their personal design and aesthetic yeah. pre preferences and think about the people who they're bringing in and what's right for the brand, not their own aesthetic. So are there any brands that you admire for the way that they've designed their spaces that are just so right for the audience that they have? Yeah. So I'm just going to say, I love walking around Lowe's Home Improvement because I'm going to find things, I'm going to play around and so I love that. And I love anthropology and terrain. Yeah. They have masterfully arranged stores to be these fabulous places where you just walk and listen. Oh, you might smell a candle. I mean, they're touching on so many of my senses. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's heaven to me, you know, walking through those stores, really. So, so you bring this this 
uh, inquisitive behavioral science approach to the work that you do. You're talking about stores, anthropology, terrain. You're talking about Lowe's. You're talking about Apple. You're talking about these brands that have actually created limbic sparks for you. Yeah. What are the best ways that brand leaders should be thinking about creating limbic sparks if they're not already there? What are, how do you get to these moments when emotional motivation and brand desire, desire come together? You know, I wish I knew the answer to that, really. I, I feel like I don't know how, but those stores have done it for me. And I think you almost need to create in your mind who that person is you want to speak to. Who are we speaking to when we're creating the brand? And then you have to imagine, well, what does that person care about? Because Lowe's knows I exist. They do. Anthropology, terrain, they know that somebody who cares about aesthetics. In fact, I want to say that my eyes hurt looking at a mess. <laughs> and so when things are arranged so beautifully and masterfully, somebody has that figured out that this is the way to do it. Now, sure, I can accessorize a client's home. I can accessorize shelves and make them beautiful. But to do that in a 10,000 square foot space as a retail space for people to come in and enjoy, somebody just has that down in terms of the anthropology, the terrain people, the who put that together. I don't know their names. Yeah. But I mean, they, they're thinking about things in the right way. They're they thinking, thinking about, about who their audience is and what they care about. What do they care about? Yeah. So, and, and you say that, like, what, why should somebody care? Why should somebody care? And so they know that I do. And they have arranged things beautifully. So I guess if somebody is missing the mark there, they're not really thinking it through enough. Yeah. Can you, I mean, why would like people in your business who do what you do uh, with, with spaces and design or people who are running brands and creating these entire ecosystems for their brand to live in? I mean, why, why would they... Can you imagine why they might be ignoring the power of emotion? Like, what do you think right. causes that? Well, well, they're either just lazy or they're ill-informed because what, what, why would they not want to? Because so much of our choices are made or fueled by emotion. We buy a house based on how we feel when we walk in the house. I did. When we walked into this house, I said it felt happy. Whoever lived here before, there's some happy energy here. And that's that was the very difference between this house and all the other houses we looked at. Never mind, my husband's six foot five and he couldn't fit into some of the other houses. <laughs> Ceilings were low, doorways. Or older houses sometimes have that uh, challenge. Yeah. But there's a feeling in a space. And 
I wouldn't even walk somebody through a space if it didn't feel good. Right. You know? As a business leader, as a leader of your own brand, what is it that you know now that you wish you knew years ago, perhaps something that others can learn from? You know, I wish... I wish my parents knew my name means pure home, our name. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, my first marriage, my mom and dad would send me birthday cards and they would write my married name. And I would call up and I would say, guys, I'm Gretchen Reinheimer forever. Just that's who I am. I'm Gretchen Reinheimer. And now I know why. (laughs) (laughs) So you stuck with it. (laughs) You stuck with it and it paid off. Yes. Gretchen, I am so thankful that we did this today. Thank you so much for joining me on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. Thank you. This was fantastic. For more, go to limbicsparks.com.